I've got a bit of ASMR. You do? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Can you smell the Red Bull? Do you get ASMR? Like I don't know. No. Oh, what's the... It's like... Okay. Mm, this lag... Okay. I'm just... Can I just count? And then you tell me when you hear it, and I'm going to work out how long this lag is, all right? Okay. I count what? You. I'm going to count. You just speak when you hear me start saying numbers, okay? Okay. Zero. Now. One. Really? Yeah. Okay. Weird. You heard that basically straight away. I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe you're just mentally slow. <laughs> I did just have a nap. <laughs> okay. Well, I've got okay. a red that's, that's pretty decent. Okay. Fine. Okay. Okay. Feeling Let's a bit see. cheeky. Yeah, I think I can see it. I feel like um. I feel like I want to make fun of you, but it won't. Why do you want to make fun of me? Because I don't like making fun of you. Is it because I'm such fun. a good sport? Good sport? Yeah, it was like, I just let you make fun of me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's because you're a good sport. <laughs> I lost... This episode's going to be weird, I can tell. Good. Oh. I, lost, I lost all my notes. I deleted all my notes. <laughs> So this is did. the second, um, this is your secret stash, the one My that we were talking notes. about last week that you yeah. wanted uh, protected in case the police ever read them um, and yeah. you've deleted them and you can't get it I back. I fucking deleted them. And I, I even went into recently deleted. Yeah. Not there. Not there. I don't know what I've done. Maybe it, maybe it killed itself. Maybe, maybe, it was to too, maybe it was too smart to live. Maybe. You, you created artificial intelligence and it just decided, no, nah, <laughs> sorry. If this is what life is, I do not want. Dude, I don't know. Maybe they were too real for the world. What'd you have for dinner? I had some leftover uh, noodles. Yum. A, uh, I went to a Thai restaurant on Thursday night. I had a pad CU and I took Wait, home half a... Thursday of- night noodles? Yeah. Mm, pushing it for what mm, sunday yeah for what health yeah. hygiene yeah why it went in the fridge mm, gluggy no not gluggy bit gluggy two minutes 45 seconds in the microwave uh, mm, you should pan fry that at, that at that point get a bit of crisp get, mm, get a i don't want crispy. crispy noodles yeah but they're gonna be a bit gluggy like i said no they won't you want to so. crisp them up no, in they the were pan. fine. They're actually quite nice. What um, what meat was in them? What was, pro- some chicken. was the protein? There was some protein. Chicken. There was some veggies. Look. There was some egg. Look, egg. Mm. Okay. Eggy, if eggy, I, yummy, yummy. If I hear a, if I hear a blah, 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 blah throughout this podcast, I'm like, oh, there he is. There's Nick's noodles going blah, 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 blah. In my stomach, you mean, or in me your, throwing up? In your tummy. <laughs> this is gonna be such a weird episode this is gonna be so weird i could just you're in a very strange place emotionally (laughs) emma said to me before which on the surface of it was very funny and then if when i thought about it a little bit i was like fuck that's not good she said do you when you wake up in the morning michael do you decide which michael you're going to be i was like what does that mean she's like well some days you're silly, Michael. Some days you're serious, Michael. Some days you're um, you're fun and cute, Michael. And I was like, I'm like little bits of those all the time. She's like, no, you're usually just like one of those things, like a lot, and your <laughs> personality changes from day to day, and it's tough to keep up with. And I said, shut up, Emma. And she's like, oh. Grouchy, angry, Michael. Michael. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. Here's a second thought to uh, really delve into your mental state. Do you hear your thoughts as sentences or do you just think things 
abstractly in kind of words and impulses because there are people, and I recently heard this and I'm not this way. There are people who hear their thoughts as full, like written sentences in their head. Interesting. I don't know. What do you do? I think I have, I have conversations a lot. Like I, I converse with myself. You do. So that's, that's close to what I'm talking about. So you have like an actual dialogue in your head. Yeah. I don't have a dialogue in my head. No, no. I just, I think I just, I have flashes or like impulses or like thoughts, but not like a sentence. I, my brain has never said I should eat. Like I want to eat a piece of chocolate. I don't know. I don't think that. I don't think I want a piece of chocolate. So I what? What do you? What do you? What's the dialogue that you're having in your head? Well, Other than it's... your various personalities fighting for control over the one physical body. <laughs> um, when it's things that I want to do, then it's like that's a weird question. Like, hmm, I need to go to the bathroom. I don't think I need to go to the bathroom. Well, sometimes I think, fuck, I really need to go to the bathroom right now. I don't know what I think. I don't know. Because whenever I'd seen like a movie and you know how sometimes you have like a voiceover narration or it may be on like a, I don't know, like a comic strip or something like that. Sometimes you see characters verbalize their internal thoughts in sentences. And I'd always thought that was just effectively the limitation of our storytelling, right? Like no one really shows simplistic thoughts or impulses unless it's like an animal, you know, like a dog will be like bone or whatever. That's the way you characterize an animalistic thought. But when humans are, um, being given sort of internal monologue and stuff. It's literally in the name. It's a monologue. It's a dialogue. It is it is conversational, full sentences. And when you read a book and you're inside a character's head, it'll be things like Lyra knew that Mrs. Coulter was lying, but she uh, had to maintain a straight face and it was the hardest thing she had to do or something. You know, you're placed in her brain in a full sentence. So... I'd always just assumed that that was a convention that, you know, uh, storytelling had fallen on where people's internal thoughts were portrayed that way because that's the only way to really communicate an idea. But discovering that some people actually have like actual sentences in their heads that is them, that is their thought process was fascinating to me. I think it. this is... Uh more of an issue of people not being able to express like it's the labels that we're putting on it i would i would guess that most people are experiencing thought in more or less the same way it's just like how you express it because people you would have conversations with yourself as well surely yeah yeah probably but i don't think that i don't think of them as like a conversation with myself i think of it I'm probably like torn between impulses. I, it's not like me saying, oh, I'm going to eat that last piece of chocolate. And then another voice says, no, Nick, you're going to save that for tomorrow because then you'll have something to eat tomorrow night. And the first voice is like, but I want the Turkish delight now. I don't, I don't, I, it's not like verbalized in that way. I just, I get torn between like, oh, chocolate. Oh, no, I shouldn't. Oh, but I, mm, you know. <laughs> I like the idea that in your head you're going, I know I want the Turkish delight now. Like you're like some Willy Wonka child. Veruca. Veruca. Veruca Veruca salt. Oh, good question. Which Willy Wonka child are you? (laughs) You just complimented your own. (laughs) You just complimented your own idea. (laughs) (laughs) That was my internal It's like a a Willy Wonka thing. Oh, Veruca Salt. Oh, good question. <laughs> that was my internal monologue coming out. Yeah, you've you've <laughs> expressed yourself. I'm definitely. You I mean, be... it's so obvious. I'm Mike TV. Who's Mike TV? Oh, oh you're definitely sake. Mike TV. I forgot about Mike TV. 
Yeah, I dress like a cowboy and I watch too much TV and I want chocolate. It's literally <laughs> the entire defining traits of that character. <laughs> I've got a poster of him in my room. <laughs> you know that I have art in my room. It's too confrontational. <laughs> One of my heroes, my TV. Yeah. I'm probably Willy Wonka. Augustus Clip. Oh. I'm the grandpa. Augustus Clip. Actually, I'm all of them. That's why I love that movie so much. <laughs> you see yourself in every character. You're also the golden goose. And the Snodgeberries. Yep. Correct. <laughs> that was a joke that I don't think you heard it because of the lag of the sky. Yeah, it was a nose joke. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking... Welcome to Deep Floyd, everybody. Uh, nice to be back. Regular schedule. You know, shit's going down in the world, but we're here, as you expected, to make your life better. Sitting through the internet with me, Michael Zabrecki. Say hi, Michael. Can I get a doot doot? Can I get a beep beep? <laughs> there you go. And my name's Nick. Hi, Nick. Hi. Thank you. Uh, good. Good times. How you been? This, this, this episode, by the way, sponsored by Red Bull. Ooh. Thanks, Red Bull. Let's have a little bit of an ASMR moment here. Um, can you uh, pop that can for us, please? Red Bull. Ah, gives you wings. Thank you for Red Bull. Do you think that they should really change that slogan? I'm a bit over it. I find the the art style irritating. Um, what what do you want them to do? Mm. It's a borderline dangerous drink. Make it a bit sexier. Set it's pretty sick, dude. They had a they had an astronaut guy jump from space. Yeah, not with his dick covered in Red Bull shit. How, what, how, how do you want that to be sexier? That's a very good it's point. It's the sexiest shit ever. Jumping from space? Jumping Are you from kidding? space? Yeah, I mean, that's very good branding. You know, associate yourself with extreme sports. That was a clever positioning. Yeah. They've got... The, but their ads, the scribbly stupid ads. Ugh, just, I don't know. Oh, those ones. You yeah, know the ones no, I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Those, yeah. Shut up, Red Bull. Yeah. Thank you for your sponsorship. <laughs> it's immediately shooting at the foot. If you go to redbull.com forward slash deep fort, you'll just see insults about Red Bull. It's just, it's, it's all about negative opinions. Um, this week, I think we are talking about world peace. Yeah, dude. Let's solve it. Let's, uh, let's solve it. But it's actually, we're coming at it from a slightly different tangent. Um, the, the way that I'd like to approach it is with a question of whether it's even possible World peace, peace on earth. Can it happen? And I want to tackle this like biologically in the sense of what are human beings capable of? What are the um, strengths and weaknesses that we have as a species? What are the tendencies that we lean to in our animal brain? Can we actually overcome our innate tendencies towards conflict? Can we, as human beings, be peaceful? We tried a couple of weeks ago to work out whether there's something in the world that every, every single person could agree on. True. Remember we did that? Yeah, yeah. And we basically thought that, no, we can't. Yeah. So I don't think that you're ever going to have complete peace on Earth. You can have relative peace on Earth. But getting relative peace on Earth would basically... in I think take us reverting to like an animal state. Interesting. Okay, so you think like a primal state. You think that because we're conscious and intelligent and ambitious and flawed and whatever all the the juice of being a human being is that that's actually causing more conflict than the pure animalistic brain. Yeah, I think the animalistic brain allows us to have more of a, a, a domestic isolation to um, our problems. Like if it's like territory, which is a huge part of war or, you know, conflict, then in your kind of, anim- in your, in your kind of uh, groups as animals, it's kind of more isolated because you're just, you know, you're in your, you're in your, you're in your tribe. You know what I mean? But but isn't animal, I mean, isn't the whole point of animal nature the fact that that is 
base impulses that it is violent. Like the real world out there for animals is death and carnivores and and predatory behavior. I mean, that's not peace. Um, even like Neanderthals, they they were still combative between tribes right like there was there was intra neanderthal conflict and they didn't have the kind of brains or intelligence that we have as a species yeah true i think it's our ability it's our ability to plan that makes things so disastrous in that sense that we can plan an attack or we can have we can have we can be strategic about it but i mean surely that's also the benefit of the human race right in in terms of if you're trying to achieve peace isn't doesn't that require the planning as well like it, it is it might be the problem but it's also part of the solution yeah it's true and it's conflict is also uh uh even the the kind of conflict that we have nowadays is an extrapolation of animalistic impulses true we we talked about war, I think, at some point semi recently as well. The idea of where it comes from is interesting. I suppose I suppose the question we should really start at here is is what's what's the picture of world peace that we're defining here? Is it one without any conflict, top to bottom, or is it is it more in in a sort of highfalutin sense where yes, day to day like. Oh, someone cuts you off in traffic. That's, you know, shitty. You you flick on the bird. But on a global scale, there's no, you know, super um, societal kind of um, aggression or conflict between nations or states or that sort of thing. Yeah. Is it just that everyone's kind of keeping to themselves? I don't think so. I don't think that you could say there's world peace if, if the idea is... Everyone, you know, lives in their own cabin in the woods. I think implicit in the idea of humanity is is some degree of community, right? There has to be socialization. Yeah. So let's. What's what creates? Uh, what's the opposite of peace? Constant conflict, right? Conflict. I mean, so what, you, you look. What are the? Sorry. What are the big creators uh, and causes of conflict in the world? I mean, I think you. Uh, so territory. Uh, resources resources yeah religion Um, religion so religion is not religion should fall under a broader bracket though it's like it's ideology ideology or culture yeah it's wanting people to live the same way as you but maybe maybe religion is the broader bracket yeah I mean I don't know you don't have like vegan wars do you like people who might not yet not until 2030s um but people can want other people to live a different way that doesn't lead to armed conflict i think it's religion is is one of the few things which does cross that threshold right yeah you're right yeah i mean Um, you're kind of looking if you're looking at the opposite of world peace you're effectively looking at the middle east right territories which have been in generational centuries-long conflict with each other in a way that is seemingly unchangeable or or so deeply rooted as to be yeah it's just impossible to know how to how to untangle right yeah um so if that's if that's the complete opposite of world peace then i think you know we're not talking about it's still if you're in you know um, Israel or something, right? You're, you're still there's still going to be people whose day to day lives have other um, aggregations, right? Like where you you can still be cut off in the Middle East when when you're driving and be like, ah, oh, fuck you, you know. And I don't think when they're talking about peace in the Middle East, they're talking about stopping, you know, someone jumping into the roundabout ahead of you, right? Like, I, I think the conception of of world peace is at a it's at a um, a societal level, right? It's stability at a societal level. I think the the the, the only way you, it's 
I wonder if it's a lack of un, a lack of empathy for another tribe, like it's tri- tribalism. Tribalism, almost by its nature, displays like a lack of empathy for the other tribe, in the sense that I can see in my tribe, Darren over here is one of me. Mm-hmm. But over there, Karen, who's from the other tribe, I mean, she's just like, she's from, she's she's one of those guys. And that's a completely different kettle of fish. Mm. But at the end of the day, and this is where racism, this is where racism is born, that it's an understanding of that everyone is actually the same. And that comes from education and science being taught that you know, everyone, even, even though, even though people have darker skin, but they're the same as you because people have darker skin because they evolved in a climate where the sun um, was more of a threat and that the, the skin evolved a darker pigmentation to protect the skin against, against the sun. And that's the only reason why that the, that those people have darker skin than you. So in that sense, like science could actually help it could actually be the ticket to helping people to understand that everyone is actually the same and once people understood that everyone was the same that could go a long way to um combating tribalism poor choice of words there but i think (laughs) combating i think you're doing racism a disservice (laughs) i think that it is actually i (laughs) I think that you're actually, it is, I mean, racism is actually not really about the color of people's skin, right? It's it's actually about people's culture, isn't it? Yes, but that comes from people thinking that they're different than you. But there are differences in culture between people of different skin colors, aren't there? Like black people have different dialectical styles, have different... Um, uh, interactions within each other, you know, their different strengths and and um, skill sets and that kind of thing, and that's what's making them an other, right? Right. It is not as simple as just, you know, your uh, the the Indonesian tribe, which has never seen a white person, and then a white person walks onto their island, right? And they're just like, holy fucking shit, there's someone whose skin is, like, white. What the fuck, you know? It is the actual basis of this, of of racism these days is not just, or maybe not at all, well, the colour of their skin's different, right? It is actually about what that skin represents in terms of the cultural difference between different ethnic minorities, right? Right. Okay. Well, like when, I... when someone's being racist against like an Indian person or, you know, a, the guy at the kebab store or whatever, it's because of what they represent in terms of immigration policy or in terms of assimilation into the culture or in terms of what the religion that they are assumed to possess or, you know, taking jobs from people or, you know, these are all unfounded, you know, racist tenets, but that's actually what prompts the the otherness right it's not so aesthetic yeah well i i think you're right but i also think that the the otherness it does begin at the the, surface level you're totally right right and when when you if you see someone you know if you see someone you know maybe in a a supermarket or something there and they're speaking broken English like if they're speaking really broken English it's an interesting test to think that they're because they're not they don't have the ability to communicate what they're thinking that it's you have a certain you have a certain idea um how should I phrase this you you treat them as like more stupid than they are, right? Because you can't f- follow their yes. train of thought. You treat them like yes. a child because they can't yes, speak. Sorry. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's exactly what I meant. Um, and that's and you can you can rationalize that and like 
that that's what the that's what your brain automatically does. But then you see, um, you know, like I saw Parasite a few weeks ago, and um, I was trying to I was trying to not read the subtitles for some of it. And it's if you look at the, a film like that completely in Korean, and they're just speaking a language that you have no idea what they're talking about. It's so foreign to you, and then and then all of a sudden you get you get to you get the subtitles and you get to see what they're actually talking about. It just opens everything up. Yeah, I know. In, in in like this kind of magic, in kind of this magical sense, you start to realize, oh, these people are, these people are are saying things that I can actually try and understand, and they're they're you know having they're saying they're saying funny things, and they're saying yeah, um, you cross the threshold that I can re- relate to, and that that's that's an amazing that's a it's a weird and amazing little trick that we get to experience nowadays but it's also i mean um boon jong ho when he won his uh, golden globe um gave a speech saying via an interpreter ironically um that there's so much amazing film out there if you can overcome the i think he called it like the the five centimeter barrier or something like that of reading the text at the bottom of the screen and it has definitely been the case and is probably still the case for most people that the idea of reading subtitles is uh, off-putting. It's, it's, it, they don't want to make the effort. I remember famously yeah. um, uh, the TV show Lost in 2005 when it premiered had two Korean um, actors uh, playing a Korean couple um, on this plane that went down, and they had to fight the, the the creatives had to fight with the network executives to have them speak Korean on the show, um, and that was one of the first mainstream networks series that had scenes that were in Korean and you read subtitles, and that was only fifteen years ago, and it was a fight to get to that stage where, like a mainstream audience, could be expected to follow along by reading the subtitles yeah. in a show that was otherwise 95% English. Yeah, I mean, that would have detracted from the realism of the situation. Absolutely. It? If they were artificially speaking English, it, yeah, it, it would have detracted from the show. Yeah, like they did in Chernobyl. Reactor 5, <laughs> Reactor 5's blown. Comrade, yeah. Reactor 5's blown. It's a choice, isn't it? Um <laughs> So that yeah, we we circled off in a direction. They're talking about sort of otherness and how, how people perceive the otherness, and and if you're brought in to that somehow through subtitling or whatever, you you see them as human beings, right? Mm. So it it's about removing the barriers of otherness, right? In perception, in terms of at least bringing everyone onto the same level. Mm. Do you think we would ever get to a point where we would have like a global language? One language? Like One actually language. spoken? Yeah. I can see it happening. I think I Maybe think I think you have to years. assume eventually yes, right? Yeah. You have to assume eventually yes. It will look like nothing of any of our languages. <laughs> It'll be some interesting combination of Chinese and English. I, was, I would just think it would be English. Mm, uh, I think that there's more Chinese people than there are. They'll come around. The um, the TV show Firefly, um, which was set in the future, threw a lot of Chinese slang in because um, they made the hypothetical, um, well, the creative choice that in the future is going to be strongly Chinese influenced. I always oh. thought that was an interesting, um, yeah, that is interesting choice. Um, so if we're thinking. Uh, we're talking still sort of in a cultural level, the situation that you'd need to get into to achieve world peace, right? So we, we let, we're talking about removing hurdles here. I think you've nailed one. Um, you've sideswiped one, um, at least, which is the idea of a common language or easy communication between everyone, whether that's one shared language that everyone speaks or probably, at least in the short term, technologically, just the, the magic earwig which translates what the other person says and spits into your language for you yeah that's like a a key barrier removed right what's another sort of big barrier um that that causes this kind of conflict 
religion? Is there a way that differences in religion can be muted or negated or avoided so as to not cause conflict? Like almost not though, because it's like there in the text and that's like the bedrock of the religion. So it's like, you kind of just got to fuck religion off. But is, uh, I mean, some religions evolve. We know, you know, that there have been schisms in the Anglican church and that sort of stuff. Was it Anglican or United? I can't remember. What was the one that just split about whether or not you could have um, like gay marriage or women pastors? Was that Anglican? Uh, probably. But it doesn't, remember. like if the, the, the three monotheistic religions, um, I mean, you have to kind of move those, you have to kind of get those to evolve. I mean, you can, you're going to have like little subsects, subsect religions under those monotheisms. But you have to get you have to get the mothership to move, and that's I don't see that happening really. Do you think that the gradual uh, tendency towards atheism amongst you know youth of this era is going to force evolution in religion if they want to stay around? Uh. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like I'm not an optimist when it comes to re- these religions. In terms of changing them, their more problematic qualities. Yeah. Um. I like it. Almost. It almost seems silly to evolve or to start changing what they, what they, believe in terms of like let's keep up with the times. So okay, now guys, now we believe that. Now we believe that evolution is correct, but God made it. I mean, it's like at a certain point you're just like, okay, just throw out the God part, and now, and you've <laughs> and you've got the thing. So, picturing a, a future in which the trend towards atheism or agnosticism, or at least away from formalized religion, is continuing at its pace, it's increasing. Society gradually becomes more secular. You end up with a place where there's a minority that believe, right? Then you have this kind of existential question for them, right? Do you continue to preach the thing that you always preached and then cease to exist when the last generation of believers dies out? Or do you effectively evolve but leave behind the religion that it was in order to try and maintain some form of existence, right? It's like an old God's new God's kind of question yeah in that circumstance surely if the society is moving secular and if the old religions are causing conflict is it not then plausible or maybe even inevitable that there that it will have to evolve into a form which is less malignant or else it'll just disappear no yeah i think I think it would, I think it will, and it is evolving into a form that is less malignant, but it's, it's the, it's the fun, it's the fun, it's the extreme versions of these religions that are causing the problem. So do you think uh, to achieve world peace, what you're effectively saying is we need to have as a culture left religion behind first? I, that's my guess. And that's obviously going to come with its own. Well, yeah, maybe it will. I, I think about this a lot. Well, I have been like over the last 10 years or whatever. Like, is, would the world really be better without religion? I, I, my guess is that it would be. But peop, But I just, I'm not, people really get a shitload out of religion that, that I don't think I'm giving enough value to. There is there is a social glue that um, religion brings to. Did you say social? Social glue that yeah. that religion brings to community. That I think you're right. That that you and I probably overlook somewhat. Um, but and... with, with, sorry to interrupt. But with, 
I get the social glue part, sure, but I also think, I mean, you can you that's you able to obtain that through other other means. For me, as a and a, a person that doesn't believe that there's any god or any supernatural element to the universe the what i what i can relate to is the feeling of awe and um majesty and the feeling of insignificance that feeling that i get when i think about being on a tiny ball in the biggest possible <laughs> in space and the amount of planets and stars there are the, the, that feeling is I think akin to the feeling that people get when they think about God. Yeah. So I think, I don't think I've left behind any, so that's spirituality. What I just described is spirituality. And I think there's a, there's a need that people have for spirituality. And I do think you can also get that without God. Yeah. He, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this tangent, but do you think that world peace would be harder or easier if we had firm confirmation that we were not alone in the universe? Oh. No, world peace. It would unite us. If there was another, if there was another, if we found out there was another race of another civilization, hundred mm-hmm. percent, we'd be like, all right. I don't know. I I I like your optimism. But I think if you if you consider, you know, the variance in people's beliefs about, I don't know, going back to the Middle East, should we uh, go to this country and take its oil or whatever, right? Like there are very distinct um, contrary voices as to how to approach a situation like that. Surely there'll be some sector of humanity that sees an interstellar civilization or a spacecraft that's entered our galaxy or whatever. Some of them will be like, fuck, we've got to fucking kill it right now. We need to kill this thing right now. Some of them will be diplomatic. They'll be like, we should extend an open arm. Some of them will be absolutely batshit terrified. Some governments who are, you know, led by or in religious societies will have crises of crises of faith. Some will, like, scientists will defect, you know. Like, there's there'll be a lot of... A lot of conflicting yeah. kind of shit that goes on. I'm About not so confident we... that that would unite humanity. I think I there think... would be more like greater stakes as to people's behavior than ever done before in a way that could actually ignite conflict. Yeah, I I agree. There'll be some there'll be some um, disagreement over over how to approach the situation, but we'd be getting this like celestial context oh name for a band. good album yeah yeah dude um we get context for our existence in the universe and i think that yeah we'd have we'd, we'd disagree over like what to do but at the end of the day we'd be like man we're like we're humans now we're humans we are the species of humans because there's another species and that means there's probably other species so we gotta we gotta but can you not picture white humans being like hi there yes uh we are humans uh thank you for coming this is our amazing planet um help yourself to the soda stream it's just in the corner and meanwhile filled with co2 just gently nudging all of the minorities out of the way out of the camera view uh, you know can you imagine how um america would react if china sent out the first messenger yeah, to true. an interstellar craft Right. Yeah, yeah. Who's gonna represent? Who's gonna be the ambassador? Yeah, because our aliens gonna be like. So, are they gonna just think we all look alike? <laughs> like, like uh, I don't know. Chinese people look alike. I mean, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but if they've made it to our galaxy, they've probably observed us in advance to know some of what our world and society is like, right? Yeah, they have to have the technology to see that from afar for a while. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's 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 broadly write that off as saying it, world peace probably needs to be without confirmation of interstellar 
craft. I don't know. Do you agree with that? That was me saying yeah, I, I support my point. But is is that fair? Do you think? No, I, th- I agree. So we're still alone in the universe. We don't know there's anything out there. Everyone speaks the same language or can communicate instantly. Uh, religion has been left behind. Are there any greater social or structural things that we need to do here to facilitate this? What about wealth? What about um, needs and health? And and are we, are we all living in a fair society where everyone has access to what they need, right? Do you think... Are you saying that the disparity in wealth is a cause of... Conflict. Uh, conflict. Both within a society, you look at America, you have the, you know, the whole 1%, you know, lower class kind of conflict currently, but also in between nations, African, you know, um, the history of slave trade and everything and the, uh, the theft of resources from that continent, which has left them yeah, playing catch up to other nations. In order for world peace to be possible, do we need to... Have reached even a place distribution of, of yeah, wealth, either restribution, um, uh, reparations, or like redistribution of wealth, or an international support. Like, yeah, no, I think, I think, but how, how are you going to? I don't know how you do that on a global scale. Well, look in in this kind of future world that it always becomes the UN that, that's a government, right? At some point, there's an international charter which actually has authority over every other nation state. Yeah, you know, and we, we kind of, it sounds fictional, but at the same time, um, the EU has has some of that power, right? The, the EU member states do defer in some instances and in some authority to a greater body than themselves. Mm. So people are scared of like having a a, a one giant body, aren't they? Yeah, but that would potentially be the only way that you could facilitate stuff like, okay, fuck, Africa needs you know one point seven trillion dollars. All the other you know Western states are going to pay effectively a theft, a slave tax, reparations for their um, you know colonialism. I, I you probably need to level out the needs of of humanity so that that conflict of you know I'm fucking starving where's my next meal coming from oh those bastards over the you know in the other town they stole my goat or whatever yeah that that's what you know that's a genesis for conflict isn't it <laughs> yeah uh that's a very good point I hadn't I hadn't thought of that um yeah, you, you you would. I think that's a that would that would make that would make a lot of pro- progress in um, in terms of yeah leveling 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 the playing field and s- stopping people feeling like they've been um, feeling injustice. Well, let me take that one more step for- further because as as I was thinking about it, doing that kind of behavior would then cause. Um, a sense of injustice in the countries who were being penalized, right? Like the the Western world, there would definitely be people who'd be like, I didn't fucking steal slaves from Africa. Why do I have to give up some part of my taxes over to support this other fucking country, yeah. right? So simply yeah. doing that, even if it might be morally just, is not going to remove that problem. So yeah. perhaps... The actual thing that you need in order to level the playing field is technological. It's like an open source, it's like a big discovery, right? So something along the lines of highly efficient, ultra low cost electricity or something like that. Someone discovers, okay, this is an amazingly efficient battery. This is our perfect solar panel or whatever. We roll it out really cheaply around the world. Now everyone has electricity. Similarly, here's the like really easy medical solution. Here's the uh, the food production system. It's just available to everyone and now everyone's got the same boost up to that level, right? Like it, mm. you might, it might need to be more like it's opportunity-based rather than leveling right yes do you understand what i'm trying to get at 
Yeah, no, you're talking about um, uh, creating equal opportunities for people rather than um, equal outcomes. But I think you could also do you could also do what you initially said, but it would it would take a couple of generations. Yeah, for the new normal, the people feel like they that have been penalised to actually be like, well, this is my parents grew up like this, and and now we're growing up like this, so it's like it's in the past. So it yeah. might you could do that overcorrect. Yeah, correct, um, but just they just have to suck it up over a few generations, and and then that would be the norm. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, I, unless there's any other sort of big standouts, I think I think oh, we've painted. Okay, go the ahead. other thing that I was thinking about is um, the um, ego. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to get to, which is that if if we if we've set up a, 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 a an institutional, governmental, societal kind of framework now, the the you know, common language, uh, access to all the sort of fundamentals, equal wealth, no aliens have visited, uh, uh, universal um, governmental body, you know, if those are the kind of the accepted requirements now for world peace, let's turn back to the the starting question, which is human nature now. We've set up the, the perfect way that this globe should operate to facilitate world peace. Is it still achievable or are humans fundamentally incapable of that due to the biological side of it? You're about to talk about ego. Um, <clears throat> I was just going to suggest that. Um, whoa. Grumpy bum out there. Yeah. Um, that I don't really know what I was going to suggest, but that. It seems that ego is a can be at like a world leader level is um, is the catalyst for a lot of a lot of like actual conflict mm. at like a uh, like a militarily military level. And do you think that that is not solved or surpassed by the societal changes that we've now put in? You you think that ego is a part of every human being? Uh, yes, but it's, it's more and less. Do you think that ego stops human ability to reach world peace? Because you're assuming it, you're interpreting it through the idea of there being one leader, right, for yeah. each country still. And do you think that is prohibitive? Or could there still be a way in which well, know, the will of, of people is kind of a different governmental um, form or something like that, where it's actually not dependent on one person or not? Yes, I think that that would be a, that would be a very good start. You could um, you could also you could the idea that one person is it makes sense to a degree. But if you could, if you could spread out the burden of decision, I mean, it's, 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 the problem is it's going to make the decision making process so much slower. But the more people you have making those decisions, the less ego is going to be a factor. But then also you could potentially have <laughs> AI making these decisions, or at least helping you make the, these decisions you sure. could have like a um in the far in the future you could you could get a a computer to actually tell you what the what to, a likely outcome of any particular military strike might what, what that might look like in terms of you know damage to the area casualties possible retaliation from the enemy things like that yeah what about this the the idea of tribalism? We sort of started here. The sense your your first suggestion was that if we removed the sort of human intelligence level and reverted to animalism, that would be better because the scale of what the human brain can encompass. Uh, I forget what the number is. It's like forty people, four hundred, forty people. 
Like how, how I many? Think it's forty. It's 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 something. Sm- it's quite small, right? The idea of yeah, how many you could actually be like close to or like connected with, right? The ideal clan size is our biology, like our evolutionary ape yeah. tribe size, right? Yeah. Do you think that we have the capacity to surpass that? And the idea of tribalism, the idea of being part of an us, which is 8 billion people, which is 12 billion people, you know. Do you think the human mind has the capacity to feel part of something that large? Or will it always search for tribes within that? I don't think that that we'll be able to get over that. Uh, that um, we'll we'll be truly able to fathom um, sharing a planet with eight billion people, but we can rationalize it, and we can we can use our brains to kind of work it out. But at a, at a at an emotional or at a at an instinctive level, I don't think we'll be able to overcome that. So does that imply that there will thus always be tribalism and thus always be conflict? Mm. Well, yeah, I think it, I think there'll always be... Yeah, maybe I think there'll always be tribalism. I think the only, the only shot that we have is of not feeling that way is if there is a, another species or another civilization out there but i mean couldn't it also just be evolution i mean maybe the answer is you have to evolve past that into something which you no longer count as human but surely if that's an animalistic instinct it is within our ability to either through genetic engineering or just cultural processes and and generations upon generations of of you know, um, Darwinian um, pressures. It could be the case that humanity reaches a point where that hu- that tribalism is a, a less strong instinct, right? I guess so. It's just hard to imagine us evolving. You know, like actually evolving. Yeah. At like a at a at a, like a at a level that we'd actually be passing on this trait to future human beings. I mean, maybe, maybe like cultural evolution for sure, but it's, I don't think that's a cultural evolution. No. Well, yeah, it would be assisted by cultural development. But, sure. I mean, there there is evidence of human evolution now, right? Like, it's already happening. We're, we're the, the first species. Like I'd have to look it up. We're the first species which is actually um, uh, evolving itself through technology, right? Well, I've definitely not been evolving. (laughs) You've been regressing. (laughs) Okay. Humans are still evolving and we can watch it happen. Yeah, we're not in science news, but uh, the summary of this uh, uh, article is basically saying that because we have um genomic uh profiles of the human you know genome um we're actually already seeing that there are genetic markers and alleles and that sort of thing changing that you can see moving amongst a population um whether or not that's manifesting in actual genetic traits yet potentially not i I, again i just really quickly skimmed that but um uh, it we definitely can see our DNA already differentiating themselves. Um, there's uh, things about uh, the ability to have lactose tolerance, like enabling adults to digest milk. That was yeah. evolution. Um, things for like blonde hair and blue eyes have spread quickly over the past 2,000 years. Fair hair and lighter skin color. Um, so yeah, we, we, that is already sort of recent data that can support the idea that the human, um, genome and, and is evolving. So it, it's not, 
I don't know that there's like an, an allele for tribalism potentially. I mean, maybe, but, um, I also wouldn't rule out the idea that, you know, if you jump 10,000 years ahead, it's probably going to look different, you know, human, human yeah. behavior and, and, and obviously society, but like on a, on a biological level, we might have overcome some of those limitations. Well, let's, let's hope so. Hmm. It's just, it's hard for me. It's hard to, it's hard to actually imagine that. Because when I imagine us in the future, I imagine that everything else has changed, but we're still, like, I feel like if I had a conversation with someone, <laughs> someone from like Jesus time, like there's be a lot, there'd be a lot to, be a lot to chat about, but I think <laughs> at the heart of it, I'd be like, <laughs> I could... I'll grab a drink with that guy. <laughs> I mean, but there would be so many, uh, there'd be so many differences, but also the rate of evolution is increasing. You know, the first 1800 years of, you know, since we started this calendar, pretty slow in terms of, you know, technology, uh, obviously growing, but now we're at a level of, you know, computer science and, DNA and, and understanding, which will exponentially accelerate that kind of process going forward. So jumping 2000 yeah. years ahead now is going to the what a human being, as we defined it in 2000 years in the year 4020, is going to look very different, like uh, m- much more drastically different to us than we do f- from, you know, year zero, I think. Yes. And with um, artificial intelligence. Yeah. becoming part of our biology in a way as well. Absolutely. It will, the, the, everyone will be a cyborg. <laughs> yeah. Um cool. Any so let's let's um let's try and put a cap on it here. Let's go back to that question. World peace. Do you think it's actually achievable? I do think it's achievable, but I think it's going to take a long time. Um and it's going to take something take like a like an existential threat maybe not even a threat it's going to take existential context for the human race to actually get to a point where they realize that the problems here that we have at a domestic level don't actually matter cool I I don't think I don't think it's possible. I don't think for the given definition of human being as we know it, I don't know if it's possible. I think there will always be some degree of uh whether it's resource hogging, whether it's xenophobia, whether it's um mere competition, whether it's religion, or even just biological tribalism. I think that if you were to fix all of the societal problems in the way that we suggested, the world is all basically treated identically, country to country, has the same resources, the same access to education and science and technology and food and energy and everything, and you plunked the exact same type of human beings as we are in it right now, there will still be... the sociopaths in society. There will still be the um, narcissists. There will still be the egotists. There will still be the competitive, the athletic, the aggressors to a point in which they would still want more than what they have and that causes conflict. Yeah, you're probably right. I wonder if we could get to a point of minimal conflict. Uh, We absolutely... Um, should strive to it. And I think there's obviously clearly so much more that can be done to make that the case. Where, where, if you had to guess, where do you think the next, do you think there'd be another world war and whose fault is it? <laughs> I think, I think it's, yeah, I think it's probably inevitable. I think it is probably think so? inevitable that there's another world war. 
as to whether it's in the next 15 years or in the next 2000 years, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure I could, I would place the bet on it being in our lifetimes necessarily, but um, hopefully not at least, but on a grand time scale, I mean, look back over the past 2000 years before we called them world wars, there yeah. were still fucking big wars. <laughs> yeah. Know? And I yeah, think, what would a world war look like now? Like, it's not going to look like like before. World war the, now in, would be so in fucking world war scary. One and two, you had cons- you had conscription, so everyone had to go fight, but you wouldn't be able to do that now. No, so world wars now would look way different. It'd be so it'd be so fucking terrifying. There's the amount of like AI stuff where like you could have drones just like fly over countries and just blow up a city, uh, right? Uh, the that that technology. The escalation in that technology over the past 80 years is fucking terrifying. Right? God damn. I'm moving to New Zealand. Yeah, you got to pick somewhere that's not going to be a target. Yeah, you're safe over there. Mm. But then but then you got the ground. The yeah. ground hates you over there. <laughs> but there's no snakes, so it's no all wins. No snakes. Cool. Oh, man. Save the world again. We did it. We saved the world. Bye. <laughs> Claiming that it'll never be saved. Let me try and think of a new outro line. You know, I, I, again, just find a, a thing. Just find, find a new, find a new win. Education can be fun, and if you would like to find another topic, which is explored in such riveting depth by two absolute consummate professionals, then. Please let me direct you to the archive of Deep Fort episodes, deepfort.podbean.com, or just scroll down your podcast player feed. They're all there. They're all 100% brilliant. Uh, you can send suggestions for the topics you'd like us to talk about to deepfort at gmail.com. You can find us on facebook.com forward slash deepfort. Send us a message. We also put up like interesting articles and that sort of thing. It's, you know, worth a, worth a like. Uh, Twitter.com forward slash deepfort if you want to be notified when an episode's gone up. And soundcloud.com forward slash deepfort if you want to hear some of our jingles. Uh, of course, if you're in the uh, internet space using a digital hyperlink to access a podcast feed, then follow it through to Apple Podcasts and just give us the old uh, five stars. Give us a rating, give us a review, send us some love and uh, help us climb up the leaderboard that is life. Nice. Should we do a George Clooney news? Oh, yes, please. George, 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 George Clooney, George, George Clooney news. Watch out for that tree. Yeah. Gosh, the lag here is going to make that very interesting to stitch together. I hope it sounded right. Um, okay, I've got one on the list here, and it's actually. George Clooney news is, of course, a regular check-in with what uh, Mr. Clooney's has been up to. Um, I have a link here, and because this segment is so old, I can't actually remember whether or not we've talked about it here before, and indeed whether or not it might have been the originating story that prompted George Clooney news as an ongoing (laughs) segment. I might be about to go full circle, but I saw this and I I saved it because I, I... was impressed um the headline is george clooney spends nespresso paycheck on spy satellite to keep tabs on omar al-bashir dude what have you have we talked about this before i really don't think we have okay give me the juice give me the gas baby here's the juice huffpost.com is reporting george clooney spent a recent handsome paycheck on an endeavor that might surprise those who knew more about clooney's love life than his espionage activities the gravity the gravity actor weird weird pull but um yes (laughs) uh, this is a 2013 article so i suppose it's slightly out of date The Gravity actor told The Guardian he's spending most of the cash he earns from appearing in commercials for Nespresso on a spy satellite aimed at Sudan. He says, quote, Most of the money I make on Nespresso commercials, I spend keeping a satellite over the border of North and South Sudan to keep an eye on Omar al-Bashir, the Sudanese dictator charged with war crimes at the Hague. 
Then he puts out a statement saying that I'm spying on him and how would I like it if a camera was following me everywhere I went? And I go, well, welcome to my life, Mr. War Criminal. I want the war criminal to have the same amount of attention that I get. I think that's fair. So basically, George Clooney spending his paychecks from Nespresso to just just keep an eye on a bit of a murderous dictator. <laughs> Dude, that is the most George Clooney thing ever. <laughs> I find this absolutely delightful. This is great. Imagine this having how, how much money do you think it takes to just be able to commandeer a satellite? Three million dollars per fortnight. I, I just I can't even imagine. Like, how do you how do you even make that connection? Who do you call? <laughs> if you have yeah. this grand idea, how do you make this happen? I, I it's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. Uh, when when I get George Clooney rich, Nick, I'm gonna get one of these fucking spy, spy satellites. I'm just gonna have it on you. <laughs> Don't know, compare I'm just me gonna, to and I'm just gonna Omar Al Bashir. I'm not comparing you. I'm just gonna do it to freak you out. So I'm just there gonna are two texts. There are two private citizens around the world that have a spy satellite over them at all times. One of them is Omar Al Bashir, and the other one is Nick Shadel, Christchurch, New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like enjoying that ice cream, and you'll be like, "What the fuck? How did you?" <laughs> and I just like stare up at the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you! <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> uh, that was clones. a good Clooney news, dude. It's a bit of cleanse. Very good. Thank you. This is why we do it. This is why we do it, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Um, um, Kobe Bryant died. I know. <laughs> you just had to look up his name. <laughs> you, you're a real um, sports buff. I imagine I was, it was pretty tragic for you. I thought it might have been Kobe Bryant, mm. but it's Bryant. <laughs> I don't think you're really in a position to be able to talk much about this. No, I'm just saying it's pretty, pretty sad. It was sad. The fact that his had... daughter was on the plane, terrible. Mm. Yeah, no, that wasn't. This wasn't a. Uh... Oh yeah, no. <laughs> the the a... episode ended when it was funny, not when it was sad. <laughs> <laughs> Although now maybe oh, I don't know. I'll find it in the edit. <laughs>